All right, let's jump in. Let's get going. We've got an uh, object lesson, illustrated message today, and we'll get to that in a few moments. I wanted to, to ask you a question, and today's message is entitled Questions. So let's start off with that. Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to solve a problem? And, and maybe you're frustrated or maybe you're just trying to process it and figure it out. Maybe you've made some attempts to solve the problem and you've been unsuccessful, but you're trying to solve a problem. And someone comes along and observes and then asks you a question that is a total game changer. They just have a different perspective on the problem. And they just simply ask you a question. They don't like tell you what to do or tell you what the problem is or what. They just ask you the question. And all of a sudden, like the light bulb goes off and you're like, whoa. And it changes everything. This happened to me recently. I was in the middle of solving a problem or trying to. And someone asked a question. So our daughter, Amanda, and her husband, Zach, were uh, living here uh, nearby, and they were renting a house for a couple of months. And they had a problem with the water pressure that was coming out of the kitchen faucet. They had water pressure in all the other areas, but the kitchen faucet just wasn't putting out enough water. And so they gave me a call and said, hey, what, what do you think's the problem? I said, well, if you just take an unscrew right there where the water comes out, there's a filter there. It's probably clogged with sediment. Just clean it out, put it back on, should be fine. I love, I love being a dad. So a couple of days later, I get another phone call. We can't get that off. We can't get the thing off. And my first thought was, I let my daughter marry a man who can't get that off. Now, if you know my son-in-law, he's an army ranger. He was a captain in the army. He's a dude. I mean, he, he can get that off. Okay, okay, all right. Anyway, so I thought, Amanda, if you'll invite me and your mama over for dinner, I think I can solve that problem for you. You got to take advantage of every opportunity. So she did. She invited us over for dinner. Zach was still at work. So I go into the kitchen and I'm going to solve the problem and I'm going to be the solo hero. Not going to share any of that hero status. So I go in there and pretty confident and I grab the, the end of that faucet and I'm just like, mm, whoa, it's not budging. It's not doing anything. I get Zach's tools. I get the wrench. I protect the faucet because it's a rental. And I don't want to break it. I put the wrench on there and I'm like, it's not budging. I mean, I'm giving it, I'm holding it. I'm, I'm just doing everything I know to do. I did a lot of hot water, just flow through it to heat it all up. You know, I did everything. Well, then Amanda and Lisa come into the kitchen and are watching me. Now the pressure is intense. So I'm trying and I'm just giving it everything. I said, I don't want to break the faucet. I'm just doing everything I can. That's when Lisa asked the game changer question. She said, um, isn't it um, righty, tidy, lefty, Lucy? (laughs) 
I had to think quickly. So I said, um, um, yes, yes it is. But that's when you're dealing with something that's coming up this way. This is different because it's coming down. And she said, no, it isn't. It's not different. It's the same. So I put the wrench on there and I turned it the correct way and it came right off. Um, I didn't want Lisa to have to go through the trouble of filling out the report and sending it into the union. So we just stopped by on the way home and I turned in my man card. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> can't do this. It's over. The right question at the right time can be a game changer. And it certainly was on that day. Jesus used this approach, if you want to call it that, many, many times. There would be people that would come to Jesus and they would ask him a question or they would present a problem to him. And he would not instantly respond to their request with an answer, but instead he would start with a question. This happened many, many times. But one of the times comes in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Mark chapter number 10. We have it on the screens up here, Mark chapter 10. And here a man uh, comes to Jesus. And the Bible says he fell down. He, 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 he comes to Jesus and he runs up to him and he falls on his knees before him. And he says, good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you would think to yourself, okay, that's exactly why Jesus came, is to provide eternal life, to show the way, to be the way, and to provide the forgiveness that we need that we'll have eternal life. Man, this question's like right up Jesus' alley. So you would think that he would go like, yeah, let's gather a crowd around. I'm going to answer this guy's question. But instead, Jesus starts with a question. And he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And what he's trying to do in this situation is to change this man's perspective so that he could see what is in his heart or not in his heart. And that's where Jesus always aims for us is our heart. It's always his aim because that's where we really live. Even Solomon in the Proverbs said, guard your heart for out of it spring the issues of life. And so he asked them, why are you calling me good? Those, why, are, why are you asking me this question? Why are you asking me this question? Do you think I'm just some popular guy? Do you think I'm just like here and I just like to talk to people? Do you think I'm just like, kind of like everybody else? I mean, I might have a good answer. I might not. Why are you asking me this question is what Jesus is trying to get this man to understand. He says, no one is good. Why are you calling me good? No one's good except God. Do you think I am from God? Do you think I am the Messiah? Do you think I am God? So he starts with asking him a question. And of course, he goes right into, after that, he says, well, keep the commandments. And he lists several. And the man said, hey, good, I've been doing that since I was a kid. And Jesus then says, one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the word says that at that, the man turned around, his countenance fell. He just dropped. He was sad. And he walked away from Jesus because he was very wealthy. And that's when Jesus turns to the disciples and he says to them how difficult it is for the rich to enter 
the kingdom. But what he did not say was how difficult it is for the rich to be in the kingdom. What he said was how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. Because when we enter the kingdom of God, it is not by our wealth, our education, our intellect, our accomplishments. It is when we strip all of that away and we recognize the depth of our own heart and say, God, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And that's how we enter into the kingdom. But this man was depending on his wealth and not on his need for a savior. I want to turn to another verse and we're going to look at for a little bit. If you'll turn to the left, you'll find Matthew. If you turn a little further to the left, you'll find Malachi chapter number three. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter number three. And the Holy Spirit is inspiring the prophet Malachi to speak to the nation of Israel, to the region in which he lives. And the nation of Israel has a history in the Old Testament of up and down, up and down, up and down. They serve the Lord. Everything's great. We're prospering. Things are going well. But then they turn away from God and his decrees and things start going south. Things start going down. It gets bad. It gets worse. It gets bad. It gets worse until finally they repent and they make changes. And then they start serving the Lord and following him again. And it just seems to like it goes like this. And they're in one of those downturns. They're in one of those times when they're low. And so the Holy Spirit is inspiring Malachi to try and give them what they need to turn this around to, if you will, allow God to turn their situation around so that they can live in prosperity. And this is the situation that we find ourselves in in Malachi chapter 3. We're going to read verses 6 through 12. We're going to talk just a little bit as we go, and then we're going to do this illustration. So Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Aren't you glad for that? So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. He's very clear and plain. He's saying like, guys, this, it's not going well. You know it's not going well for you. And he's saying, turn to me. Even your ancestors have done what you're doing now. He's trying to bring a reference point. When your ancestors were not doing well and they repented and returned to me, look how I blessed them. We see that nation of Israel. And now he's saying, you guys are down. If you will do what they did and repent and return to me, man, I'll bless you. And so he presents that to them. He says, return to me and I will return to you. But then he says, but you ask, how are we to return? Here's where those questions start back and forth. And the Holy Spirit is asking questions from God's perspective and asking questions from Israel's perspective. He says, but you ask, how are we to return to you? Then God responds, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? You see that questions. It is many times through questioning that we find the greatest perspective, the different perspective, the right perspective. We usually don't like people to just tell us what to do. But if people will come along and ask us the question, it gets us to examine our own life, theology, mind, heart, everything, 
And then God begins to say, look, you've just, you've just got a little skewed over here, and we need to pull it back into submission to God. Well, it goes on. So the question is, how are you robbing me? And the answer is, in tithes and offerings. Then he says in verse number nine, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, there have been some who have uh, perhaps said that if a person doesn't tithe, boy, God's going to mix up a batch of curse and just pour it out on you. I'm here to reject that notion. Uh, I don't believe that God does that. We are in a world in which is suffering under the curse of sin, Adam and Eve and yours and mine. We live in a world that is broken. And so when we decide to handle our finances our own way, what we're doing is saying, well, I'm just going to do it the world's way, and whatever happens, happens. But if we will be obedient to God with our finances, then what we're saying is, God, I'm, I'm going to rest under the umbrella of your protection, and therefore I'm not simply subject to what this world has to offer, but I'm under your protection. And so we find that protection from God. So he says, tithes and offerings, not just tithing, but offerings as well. And then he says, test me in this, says the Lord. Test me, put me to the test, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now that is a promise, wouldn't you say? That is powerful. He said, I want you to test me, put me to the test. And see what I will do. He didn't say, uh, put me to the test and I'll give you a really good feeling about your finances. I'll give you a really great feeling about that investment, your investments. He says, test me and see. Test me and you'll see what I will do. Then he goes on and he says, this is what I'll do. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, or I will make your refrigerator last longer. I'm not, I'm not sure which translation you have. I'm not depending on my crops to live, but I do need a refrigerator every once in a while. The vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, or your car will not break down before it's supposed to. One of those two, I don't know. Then the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. When we talk about tithes and offerings, what are we talking about the word tithe? The word tithe means tenth. It's one-tenth of your income. That's what tithe means. And, of course, then there's also um, free will offerings and special offerings that the Bible talks about. But the word tithe means tenth. It's used over 30 times in the Bible between tithe, tithes, and tithing. And uh, it starts in Genesis and follows right into the New Testament. So I'm going to do an illustration right here. These guys are going to come up and help me. And we're going to kind of just get a visual picture of uh, what's happening here. And uh, get these tables up on the... Let's go, guys. Thank you. And then we've got Stephen and Nicole are going to help us today. They are going to bring in the harvest. We're going to go kind of old school. 
they are bringing in the harvest. In the agricultural societies and the time in which this was written, this would be precisely uh, what this would look like. People would plant um, wheat, barley, olives, whatever, and they would harvest their crops. And then what they would do is take not just 10%, but they would take the first 10%, and they would bring it to the Lord. And so uh, Stephen and Nicole have just harvested from Aldi, the crop from Aldi. And now they're going to give us a picture of what tithing looks like. Man, they've had a good crop. Stephen keeps going out into the field and bringing it back in. Awesome. Woo. Not me. So when they would bring their crops in, they would look and they would find the best and the first. And that's what they would bring to the house of the Lord, the, the temple, the synagogue, and today the church. All right. See, these are organized farmers. They, they want it organized, picking it out. They're getting it ready. Man, I'd say the Lord has blessed this farmer. And I didn't know these grew in the field in a bag and everything. Whoa. I'm telling you. Good catch. <clears throat> you know, one of, one of the things I was thinking about in this is that truly... Tithing is a team effort. If you're married, your husband and wife, it's a team effort. You got to both be on board. Awesome, awesome. That's a that's that's what tithing looks like. So, in agricultural time periods, and still today in in regions where it's very agricultural, they would bring in their crop, and that is their money, that is their increase, and so they would barter, they would they would trade, and it's the same as money today. We sell a product or we go do a service or whatever, whatever you do, and we get a paycheck at the end of the week, two weeks, month, whatever. But in an agricultural situation, that is money, and they would say, okay, I'm, I'm bringing a tenth of my increase to the Lord, and they would present it that way. It was the first 10%, not was left over. If you've ever tried to tithe by what's left over, that's called a non-tither. Because there's just, it just goes. But when we make the determination to tithe first, to tithe that 10%, then that's a, the game changer. So just take a look at what this looks like, 90% and 10%. It's pretty amazing. But what does this represent? Could we agree that money affects and is a part of everything we do and everything we have. Money determines 
what kind of car you're able to drive. It doesn't determine what you do drive. It determines what you are able to drive, the house you are able to live in, the restaurants you are able to go to. It affects everything about us because money is connected to everything. Thank you. It affects everything about us. And so when we tithe and we say, God, this will filter through my entire life. I'll use it to pay the mortgage and the electric bill and the vacation and, and buying more food. And Lord, this is, this is what I do with the money. It affects everything, retirement, savings, everything. And so God, I want to make sure that I know you have graciously provided me with a paycheck. You've given me the strength, the wisdom, the health, the knowledge, the influence, the education, everything so that I can go out and I can make money. And because that money will filter throughout every aspect of my life, I want to make sure that I know you provided it by being obedient and giving you the first 10%. And so in doing that, I'm acknowledging your promise to bless the 90%. If I'll give you the 10% that is yours, then you're going to bless the 90% that's left. And there will be times when God will say, yeah, I want you to give that mango to this person. I want you to give, I want you to help pay their electric bill. I want you to take them out to eat. And he'll require, he'll say, you know what? I just need one more over here. Bless this person with this. Honor, that's those tithes and offerings. So I have three questions that I'd like to ask you. And I don't have your answer, but you do. So here are the questions. Do you believe that God requires too much? Look at this and look at that. Do you think God requires too much? The second question would be this. What do you believe God is thinking if someone does this? <laughs> Could it be that God is looking and going, dude, really? Really? You're going to take mine? I only had one. You had nine. What do you believe God is thinking when he sees that? Third question. Do you believe God will fulfill his promises? He promised. He said, test me and see. Test me. You'll get a visual of what I'm talking about. Test me. I will open the windows of heaven if you'll just do this, not this. Do this. God says, I've got windows. I've got a way to open them up. And I've got ways to bless you. Even if nobody around you is being blessed, I have ways of blessing you. And I will open up those windows. Can you imagine if we had another load of groceries that we just began to pile up and it just couldn't handle it, no matter how we tried to stack it, that was just rolling off of the table. 
I th- isn't that the picture that, that God would have for us today? I will open up the windows of groceries so much that it just the table won't hold it. And you'll be able to bless other people and it will roll over onto other people. But he also said, I'll rebuke the devourer. I will come along and I will make things last longer. And I will cause a change to happen that you may not even recognize or see or maybe not even understand because God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push that back. That, that's not going to touch you right now. I'm going to delay that. No, no, that's never going to touch you. I'm, I'm holding it back because we're no longer out in the world just subject to whatever. We have an umbrella of God's protection over our finances. Does that mean that disaster never happens? Does that mean that we never have a hardship? Does that mean you'll never get laid off, that you'll never get? No, that's not what it's saying. He says, I have a way of blessing you in a way that is so powerful that is miraculous. He said, I'll rebuke the thing that's going to try and destroy your groceries, your money. I'm going to share with you, uh, Lisa and I, we, we, our kids were young. We had a car. And somehow it was, it was the one that Lisa drove, and it was making some noise in the front end. I had the tires, the, I was very concerned about the brakes. We had little kids, she's traveling around and, you know, taking places. And so it's like, oh man, we, we can't have a brake problem. Well, I've changed brakes a few times. I'm a mechanic about like that, you know, don't, don't call me for advice. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure out what's going on. So I, I jacked the car up, you know, the front end. And I got the tires off of both ends, and I'm trying to figure out. I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm trying because we have no money to go to a mechanic, so I'm trying. And so then I realized uh, I'm kind of kind of under this car, and it's jacked up. And the, I just remembered the emergency brake's not on. And in case you're wondering, I hear that's not a good idea. So I said, okay, so I just kind of opened up the door and I kind of, I kind of didn't sit on the seat. I just kind of put my foot in there and I pushed the emergency brake. And when I did, oh yes, it just went. Now the rotors are on the garage floor. And I'm trying to figure out, do they make a jack that's only like three inches tall, you know, that I could. And I have no idea how I'm going to get this car back up and the tires back on it. And I, I, honest, I don't even remember how I did it. I have no clue. Somehow I did it. I do not remember how, which means I think divine help. And at this point, I'm like, I don't even care about the stupid squeak. I just want to just put the tires back on the car and just tell Lisa it's fine. Somehow I got the car up, I put the tires back on, and I'm done for the night. It's over. I'm here to tell you that car never squeaked again. It didn't have any problem, no brake problem, no noise, no nothing. Whatever happened, God healed it. (laughs) He's able to rebuke the devourer. We did not have money for a mechanic, so God became our mechanic. And he'll do the same for you. And I know across this congregation... We could be here till five o'clock tonight with just people giving stories about God's provision and how God rebukes the devourer and God did this and God, we could just hear them over and over and over again. But I'm here to say, I can't make you the promise that God, that, that, that the windows of heaven are going to open up. I'm not qualified to do that, but I am qualified to read God's promises. He promised he'll bless you. 
He promised he'll rebuke the devourer. Now it's just a matter of us saying, okay, God, I can live on this. I need to give you this. This is first, and then this is blessed. This goes, and this is protected. This is yours, and this is ours. And so, okay, God, thank you. Now, ultimately, we've already said it's really all God's, isn't it? And if we'll have that perspective, then tithing becomes easy. But thank God he allows us to be blessed while he takes so little. But it's up to you. So then what will we now do? What will we now do? We say, okay, God, ah, what am I going to do? You've heard this before, and I'm going to close with this. When is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the next best time to plant a tree? Today. Today. Can't change what you haven't done, but you can change today what you need to do. Amen? This is the time period when we say, okay, God, thank you for a visual. Thank you for what I see. But Lord, more importantly than any of that, thank you for your word. Your word says that we're to tithe. Your word says you'll bless us. Your word says this thing about return to me and I will return to you. How do we return to you? Will a man rob God? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It's those questions that cause us to think and rethink our situation and then to take the appropriate action. Not like the rich young ruler who when told, was told, hey, go sell it all and give to the poor and follow me. He turned around and walked out. Aren't you thankful? There are some times when God does that to an individual, sell it all and give it away. He's never done that for me. He said tithe and God's blessed me and God's blessed you and God will. I encourage you. If you haven't tithed, I encourage you to number one, repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I, I blew it. But Lord, today we're gonna make the right decision and move forward. That's what God's calling us to do.